you know, the general sort of idea around mold, especially with the uninformed people who have no experience, is that they think it's typically like upper respiratory, allergic, um, you know, sinusitis and, and asthma and all that stuff. And that's a big deal. I mean, mold is, according to EPA Berkeley Labs, responsible for 25% of asthma cases, 4.6 million in the United States. Um, on a causal basis, by the way. So, you know, this is a big deal. It's a really big deal on the upper respiratory, right? Um, however, what's not, what does not get attention is the way that mold impacts people on a psychiatric basis, on an emotional basis. Hello and welcome to the Health Detective Podcast by Functional Diagnostic Nutrition. We bring you interviews from people who have conquered the trickiest of health challenges using the Functional Diagnostic Nutrition philosophy and similar healing modalities. You're going to hear from experts who have been through the ringer with their health issues and yet managed to come out on the other side. If you're interested in natural healing and or functional medicine, congrats, you are in the right place. You can always visit us at functionaldiagnosticnutrition.com, but for now, here is today's episode. All right, hello my friends, and welcome back to another episode of the Health Detective Podcast by Functional Diagnostic Nutrition. My name is Evan Transu, aka Detective Ev, and I will be your host for today's show, episode number 288 of the Health Detective Podcast. Um, super exciting as we creep up on number 300. I, I do not know what cool thing to do for number 300, but I'm starting to think about it. We have a very timely conversation today, and I, I'm not sure that our guest even knows that yet, so he we will see how timely this is in just a moment, uh, but I'll read his bio and then we'll jump into our topic today. Jason Earl is a man on a mission, an adoring father of two boys in diapers, incurable entrepreneur, and indoor air quality crusader. He is the founder and CEO of Got Mold and the creator of the Got Mold Test Kit. The realization that his moldy childhood home was the underlying cause of his extreme allergies and asthma led him into the healthy home business in 2002, leaving behind a successful career on Wall Street. Over the last two decades, Jason, ha uh, Jason has personally performed countless sick building investigations, solving many medical mysteries along the way, and helping thousands of families recover their health and peace of mind. He has been featured or appeared on Good Morning America, Extreme Makeover Home Edition. That's very appropriate. Entrepreneur, Wired, and more. Jason, welcome to the show, my friend. Thanks for having me. Okay, so I said it was timely. The reason it is timely is because, and, and people are going to hate me for this in the functional space. I, it's not that I did not believe mold was a thing. I totally, totally knew that it was a thing that affected people. I understood the testing for it. Great. What uh, I did not realize and did not believe necessarily is in our groups, I mean, it's post 50% of people are, are posting, oh, I have this or I have that or something with this. I'm like, is this really that prevalent? Well, I moved into a, an apartment last year with my fiance and I started feeling a little weird. Like I started getting some like odd injuries in the beginning, like just doing mm. weightlifting and jujitsu. I never correlated that with anything other than just, I mean, weightlifting and jujitsu can cause injuries, but it was huh. abnormal for me. So then fast forward a little bit and we get to the last three months, I was waking up uh, some nights gasping because my sinuses, my nose was so clogged. It wasn't like a sleep apnea gasp. It was, I can't breathe out of my nose. So my body just woke me up uh, because it was so bad. I tired, fatigued, and thankfully we got out of there, but admittedly it's not perfect yet. So I'm, I'm super excited for this today. You said that you had this, it seems like a, a much later uh, realization that your childhood home had this. So how the heck did you even come to the realization that this is what was going on? 
Uh, well, you know, it's um, it's one of those things that, in retrospect, it was very obvious, um, but only because of the awareness that's now sort of in the zeitgeist, right? Now, granted, I did start in this industry 21 years ago before it was in the zeitgeist. Okay. <laughs> um, but uh, but it was just one of those things where you know I I I happened to be wandering at the time, so I'll kind of rewind. Um, when I was four years old, I lost a lot of weight in a three-week period, and my parents were very concerned, of course. So I was having difficulty breathing, and they brought me to the pediatrician who said, you should take him to the children's hospital. Um, this looks serious. And so um, based upon the symptoms I was presenting with and my family history, uh, the initial diagnosis was cystic fibrosis, um, which is a you know it was a death sentence back then, but devastating in particular to my father because he lost four of his cousins to CF before the age of 14. So this was their worst nightmare coming true. And so um, they say they spent the next six weeks crying while they waited for a second opinion. And uh, thankfully, uh, the second opinion um, uh, contradicted. I did, did not have CF. I don't have CF evidence by the fact that I stand here at 47 years old. Um, but also uh, what, what, I, what I did have was asthma compounded by pneumonia. Um, and I tested positive for every single thing uh, that they tested me for in terms of allergies. So it was grass, wheat, corn, eggs, dogs, cats, even cotton. So my clothing was itchy all of my childhood. And uh, intuitively, you know, it was funny. I, I actually spent a lot of time outside and, uh, and, and I seemed to, to do better outside even amidst this, all these allergens. I grew up on a small non-working farm, kind of a hobby farm, more of an adopt, animal adoption facility, really. Um, and uh, so I was, I was literally, you know, uh, just... You know, there, there, I was, I was in sort of an allergen stew, um, but I did a lot better outside. So I spent most of my childhood sort of running around in the woods. And uh, when I was 12 years old, uh, my folks split up, which was good for everyone involved. And uh, so I moved out of the house, and suddenly all my symptoms disappeared. Uh, I, I, uh, I, I hadn't used an inhaler since I moved out, um, and I, um, I, I'm no longer allergic to anything, which is kind of remarkable. Um, but the doctors who refer patients to me uh, over the years have, have sort of found it entertaining to test me for allergies, knowing my history, um, because, you know, absent that chronic exposure, um, you know, I, I'm remarkably uh, healthy. And so at the, the awareness didn't come until much later, though, because my father, had, my grandfather had grown out of his asthma, uh, something called spontaneous adolescent remission. Um, sure. So uh, basically, we have no idea what happened. That's the that's the diagnosis. And uh, and so uh, so uh, fast forward, um, actually, what's relevant to the story here is that two years later in that same home, my mom did not move out. My mom stayed in the house. I moved out with my father. Uh, my mom committed suicide in that home. Um, and it's relevant, strangely relevant to this. Um, and then um, uh, I, I was diagnosed with Lyme disease a year later, which tends to, to uh, disproportionately affect those who have mold sensitivities. And, uh, then, and then through a series of sort of um, extraordinary events, I ended up getting recruited out of the gas station where I was working to, to become a the youngest licensed stockbroker in history, actually. Um, it was just a total fairy tale. Did that for nine years and was very dissatisfied towards the end and decided I wanted to do something meaningful with my life. And I went traveling, I went backpacking. And uh, while I was away, I was in Hawaii and I was reading stories about this, uh, this, this huge mold problem that had been discovered in the Hilton Kalia Tower, which is Hilton's flagship property on Oahu on Waikiki Beach. In fact, if you've ever seen pictures of Waikiki Beach, you'll see there's a hotel with a rainbow on it. That's the building. And uh, it had been shut down for mold for about uh, six months when I was there. 
And there are a lot of stories in the local papers about people who've been affected by it. And one particular story jumped out at me. It was a 40-year-old man who'd been an employee there for a long time, and he developed adult-onset asthma and all these allergies that he had never had before. And it was like a deja vu moment for me. It brought me right back to my childhood. And I thought, geez, I wonder if if the if our house had mold, you know, because I had no idea. I knew nothing about mold. And so I called my dad from a payphone, which probably isn't there anymore, and asked him if, if he thought we had mold. And he just laughed at me, you know, typical 70s parent. He says, of course we had mold. We had mushrooms in the basement. Why do you ask? And that was all I needed to hear. You know, at that, it was literally a light bulb moment for me. I, I was I was fascinated by the concept that the buildings, uh, especially our homes, can make you sick. Uh, that was a new idea for me, um, and it's something that propelled me with with a level of curiosity that has never abated. Um, and so I took that that energy and enthusiasm back to New Jersey and took a job working in the um, mold remediation business on the sales side of things to see you know to learn learn a little while earn a little while I learned while I learned and quickly saw that there were uh, essentially a bunch of thugs you know rip, rip, using a lot of chemicals instead of cleaning um, and uh, intuitively even though there were no guidance documents or 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 standard operating procedures at the time, or industry standards at the time, I just intuitively knew that adding chemicals to an environment is not going to get you healthier, right? <laughs> uh, just like it's pretty pretty self evident. Um, and so, uh, so I ended up starting an inspection company at night. I was actually doing free inspections for people to help them avoid the contractor uh, issues uh, at night, and uh, and slowly that morphed into a business where uh, we became a pure play mold inspection company um that was called lab results because we used to specialize labrador retrievers that were sniffing out hidden mold in buildings uh and laboratory testing so lab results and then uh, that became 1-800-GOT-MOLD which kind of brings us here today wow okay what's so interesting about you right off the bat and my lovely co-workers will get this you kind of have this background where you where you chose the wall street thing you chose this financial route but then you have this situation which it's not that there's anything wrong with that job, right? But you got led to a, a life filled with purpose and passion, not just chasing money, right? Uh, we, we know a guy like that here. He, he might host the podcast. And so it's very interesting to get to talk to you like that because quite frankly, if this never happened to me, I'd be in real estate, a lawyer, or I always joke, Wall Street or something. Um, but I'm thankful that these things happen because it's it's much better. Those are We need those jobs, but it is better Indeed. to live a life for me uh, that I had passion with. I didn't have passion for any of those things. I just thought they paid the most. And so I would go do that. So it's it's amazing sometimes to have these bad things happen and have these experiences. I, I, if we can, I'd love to dive more into this story. Uh, and I hope it's okay because you brought it up. By all means. You talked about the passing of your mom. And I know that you've probably told the story a million times. So you kind of flew right through it. I mean, that's a pretty serious thing. And you had connected that uh, to the mold thing. So when you said that you don't believe that those things are disconnected, what is your belief that occurred there? Yeah, well, thanks for digging in. A lot of times people sort of, you know, tiptoe around that one. But I, I really, I think it's a very important um, part of the story because, you know, the general sort of idea around mold, especially with the uninformed people who have no experience, is that they think it's typically like upper respiratory, allergic, um, you know, sinusitis and, and asthma and all that stuff. And that's a big deal. I mean, mold is, according to EPA Berkeley Labs, responsible for 25% of asthma cases, 4.6 million in the United States. Um, on a causal basis, by the way. So, you know, this is a big deal. It's a really big deal on the upper respiratory, right? Um, however, what's not, what does not get attention is the way that mold impacts people on a psychiatric basis, on an emotional basis, on a, you know, the, the disrhythms that come from chronic mold exposure impact you in almost every single way. And so, uh, 
you know, my mother was was also an alcoholic, and she, and so mental health is a very complex thing, and there's no way to sort of pin the tail on the donkey and say what did what. But what was interesting was that around 2008, so my mom died in ni- 1991, and uh, um, uh, and so uh, in 2008, fast forward, right? So I'm processing this stuff for a while. 2008, after I'd already been in the business for seven years, Brown University uh, released a study. And it was a large study, 6,000 participants, and they found a direct correlation between uh, mold exposure and uh, uh, mold and dampness indoors and or strong, a strong correlation between mold exposure uh, and dampness indoors and depression. And now they were not able to say that, that it caused it, right? That was not the purpose of the study. Uh, but what they did was they interviewed these people and they asked them what was going on in their home in terms of mold and moisture issues. And and then they also gave them a give them a quality of life survey. So how you feeling? Uh, and the numbers were, were very clear. Right. People who reported that they had a mold and moisture problem that was unresolved uh, were, were experiencing uh, emotional uh, troubles. And so uh, that that caught my attention uh, because, you know, the question is, is it was it a disempowerment issue? People that know they have a mold problem, they haven't fixed it. Maybe there's other issues, financial issues. And, you know, maybe they're not in charge of being able to do this. And so maybe their landlord is not responding or their husband or wife is, is saying, ah, this is ridiculous. You know, that's depressing <laughs> in, in just, you know, if you if you're not able to take control of your environment, that's very disempowering. Or was it a chemical uh, uh, interaction? Was there an actual biological function there or dysfunction uh more accurately maybe and uh and so that that got my wheels turning well so remember i mentioned that we use mold sniffing dogs um i had a, a, a wonderful uh black lab named oreo and we had a lot of national press uh, because she was uh, one of the first in the world um and uh and, and she was very very effective and so one day i got a call uh from dr joan bennett at rutgers university um, she had read one of the, the, the pieces that had been released uh, about us. And she said, uh, uh, I, I study mold uh, and I'd like to meet your dog. It's okay if you come too. So uh, so we, we drove up. I lived in New Jersey at the time and, and she was at Rutgers. And so we just went right up, right up Route 1 and, and, and had a, a wonderful meeting. And she shared with me her research. Um, she actually had suffered from uh, mold exposure um, it, because she had a house down in New Orleans. It had been flooded during Katrina. She, uh, she being a, a, a great researcher, she decided, well, she's going to go down there and check out her house and, and, and check out the mold in her building. And so she went down there to sample the building. And uh, she went in there with an N95 respirator, which protects you from particles and also the mycotoxins, which are on the particles. Mycotoxins do not become airborne uh, independently, mm-hmm. um, according to the, to the, to the, uh, the research out there. Um, so, so they have to have a carrier particle. So she knew from being a mycotoxin expert and a mold researcher that that was going to protect her. Well, as she was walking through the house, the way she described it was a fungal utopia. Uh, the musty smell was coming through. And she was, she was, she was, she had to stop several times and, and get a breath of fresh air and come back in. And she became very ill and so she, she couldn't help but think that there was something else going on here because the musty smell has long been marginalized as sort of an aesthetic nuisance, right? It's just a musty smell. It's just the basement, right? It's just the way basements smell. Mm-hmm. Um, she came out of it saying, there's something to this. There's something going on here. It's not just mycotoxins, which is what gets all the headlines. So she went back to the, her lab and started figuring out what was in this musty smell, uh, which is, by the way, what the dogs are trained to sniff out and detect the source of. So this is a direct connection here, right? And so 
she uh, she began testing um, one compound that was found in the musty, a very common compound called one octan three all. It's a mushroom alcohol, um, and it's actually sold as a food additive, strangely. Um, but it's it, it, she began testing uh, fruit flies that fluoresce that actually glow uh, when they produce dopamine. Uh, and also uh, against some plants, uh, and she found that it, it caused the plants to um, to to grow in strange ways, and and she also found that the fruit fly stopped producing dopamine. They stopped reproducing. Sounds a lot like depression, right? Mm -hmm. They they stopped flying to the light, which is their instinctive nature. Instead, they started flying down. They they developed locomotor disorder. A, a locomotor disorder, um, as well as in late, subsequent studies, uh, mitochondrial damage uh, and premature death. And so, uh, so she found that uh, these compounds are actually neurotoxic. And um, and so, so in, in essence, what she d d deduced is that all mold growth has the potential to create toxicity. Now, this is uh, that's that's a big deal, and this is right. not something that's in the headlines. This is not something that's in the zeitgeist yet, which is something we endeavor to, to fix with talks like this. Um, and so now you connect the dots on this stuff, right? My personal history, the Brown University study, and the beautiful work, elegant work that Dr. Joan Bennett is doing at Rutgers University. And you can see that this all makes a lot more sense, right? Um, and so so thankfully, people are now talking about this now, and we're starting to see that that the musty smell is now being recognized as an actual health hazard. We know VOC, musty smell is a microbial VOC. VOCs are volatile organic compounds. VOCs are commonly man-made, right? So we know about VOCs like benzene. Gasoline is loaded with VOCs, right? We know that these things can cause headaches, nausea, dizziness, fatigue, difficulty concentrating, cancer, if chronic exposure. This is nasty stuff. Microbe, microbes make the same kind of compounds. In fact, many of the microbial VOCs look identical to industrial solvents, and they're producing them every time there's active growth. They're essentially mold burps, if you will, right? It's the byproduct of digestion. The same way we produce gases when we're, we're digesting, by the way, and we're not producing our own gases. Those are microbial VOCs too. We're not really digesting. We're kind of like ambulatory composters, right? Uh, and, and we're partnering this ancient partnership. Um, and so the, the, the microbial VOCs are, are, a, are, an un, or a, are, are beneath the surface in this conversation. Um, and it's a really big deal. It's a very important thing for people to be, when I say uh, be aware of, I, be, be air aware, right? Um, and, and that's kind of where I want to go with this conversation, right? Because this stuff is hiding in plain sight right under the tip of your nose. For, thank you for diving more into that. Um, I'm actually in the mental health space. It's something that I dealt with, not because of mold that I, I, that I know of, but I, I'll never beat around that bush. It's just something it needs to be talked about. And the many reasons need to be talked about. Because in my personal story, it's more, if I had known I was sensitive to certain foods, if I had known what was going on in my gut, I could have you know, saved myself from depression a lot earlier and not to get, you know, too dramatic or dark on the podcast. It really was only ever one bad day away from acting on the thoughts I was having. And I've always wondered how many people are passing away via suicide because of stuff like this or because of stuff like myself. I feel great now. Well, minus this whole recent mold thing outside of that, I've been feeling great for the last eight, nine years. And so it's just crazy to me that people lose their lives over this stuff. And so I'm, I'm excited to dive into the hiding in plain sight thing, because where this is, it, it was humbling on one sense, because remember, I said I didn't necessarily believe it was as big of a problem as many of my fellow practitioners say it is. And then I went to an apartment that was totally nice, perfect place. Uh, the owners are all nice. Everyone's cool. And yet 
it was in the vents. So we couldn't see this the entire time, but it turns out it's actually in uh, the HVAC system. And I wouldn't even have ever thought about the word mold if it wasn't for my fellow practitioners always talking about this stuff. Like I would have never seen it. I would have never checked. I would have just thought, oh, something's wrong with me. Or even worse, what happened is I, I, I moved more uh, into work with FDN over the last several months, like a lot more. It used to be, you know, maybe 10, 20 hours a week. Now it's like, <laughs> it's a lot more than that. I'll put it that way. And I was working at home all the time and sitting. And so I figured, oh, it's because I'm sitting on a computer all day. That's why I'm starting to feel worse and worse. I'm, I'm sure that doesn't help, but also what am I doing? I'm living in the exposure all day versus I was traveling before going out all the time. I had to leave the house every day. I'm like, wow, this is, this is a lot here. So of course, if someone sees a black mold growing under their freaking sink, Yes, common sense should tell you we need to do something about that, hopefully. But you're talking about the stuff that might be invisible. So how do we how do we address this for people that might suspect that this is going on if they're hearing some of these symptoms, but there's no obvious uh, culprit yet, just visually at least? Yeah, well, I mean, I think one of the ways to sort of get into what to do is kind of to start with how we got here actually sure, because sure. because I think that this is this is a this is an evolutionary thing that's happened to us and and in order to to fix this people need to understand that this is not the way we are supposed to live We're, you know we we live in these hermetically sealed chemical boxes that are made of paper mache Okay, sheetrock is one step away from paper mache, they, and and it gets moldy very quickly when it gets wet, and then because it's hermetically sealed, the air exchange is minimal, and we rebreathe that same air, uh, twenty thousand times a day. I mean, you breathe thirteen to fifteen times a minute, and twenty thousand times a day, right? So think about that as twenty thousand doses. Okay, if you take twenty thousand doses of anything. It's cumulative, right? And there's no such thing as neutral air. It's either it's either healthy or unhealthy. It's either life-giving or it's toxifying. There's no neutral. And so the way this all happened was, you know, back in the day, we we all we went outside to work and we, you know, we did we 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 had a lot of air exchange in our buildings too, because they weren't close, they weren't close up really tight. Uh, and and they were hard to heat and cool, okay. And so so we we had some downsides to that. But when the wind blew, the houses would whistle because there was literally nothing in the walls. Um, and so these kinds of modern ailments, autoimmune, asthma, and all these things didn't exist back then. Um, or they or, or if they did, they were in such a it's so minimal and certainly not recognized. Um, but the but the, what happened was in around nineteen World War Two the the baby boomers created an incredible demand for fast and cheap building materials to, 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 to have new houses. And so sheetrock was, or drywall was one of the first big innovations. Um, and then, uh, and so, but the thing about sheetrock is that it is the perfect mold medium. It absorbs water and then it's got paper on both sides and mold loves to eat things that were made from the, that were at one time alive, but plant material in particular. So paper is, is an ideal growth medium. Um, and then in the in the in the 70s we had the fuel crisis and so we began closing up our buildings really tight and and uh, and and insulating them with fluffy insulation so now when water gets in the walls it stays in the walls it doesn't have any drying potential uh, and so that leads to chronic dampness when water gets in because houses do leak. Quality construction went down, right? We lost the artisan, right? We used to build houses out of stone, brick, concrete, old growth timber. Um, and and they were built to last. Now we build for speed and profit. Um, and so, and then we started really experimenting with a lot of petroleum products. And so we made our carpets out of oil and we, we paint our walls with petroleum products and we f finish our floors with petroleum products. So it's not just mold, it's also VOCs. It's also 
the fact that our, our building material companies are chemical companies, make no mistake, much like our food companies are, and much like our pharmaceutical companies are. They're chemical companies that happen to make pharmaceuticals, food, and, and building materials. And so, so the reason that I, that, I, that I bring all this up is because essentially now the big, the big thing that's happened recently is because of COVID and, um, and because of the, this, this whole remote work thing, now we're living in, this, in these buildings uh, you know, 24 hours a day seven days a week. Many of us don't leave the house at all. And, and you know, on, on average, we spend 90% of our time indoors, rebreathing the same air over and over and over again. And then we wonder why we have all the fatigue, anxiety, depression, respiratory illness, autoimmune disease. It's a big deal. Um, and so, uh, and then we're also on top of it all, and this is the sort of the coup de grace, is that now we're over sanitizing our house. And so, so we're now using antimicrobial everything, and we're using ionizers and ozone machines and zappers and overusing HEPA filters and overusing HEPA vacuums. And so what we've done is we've destroyed the microbiome in our building, which actually teaches our, our body what's normal in the environment, right? Mm -hmm. So, you know, just to take it one step further, the word human comes from humus, which is soil. We are so disconnected from our, our true heritage Right. We, we, it, it, uh, Rob, Rob Dunn, who wrote a beautiful book called Never Home Alone, which I highly recommend to anybody who's curious about the subject, says that we should rename our species instead of Homo sapiens, Homo endorus. Mm -hmm. uh, and I don't disagree with him because we, we have literally separated ourselves from nature. And as a result, nature now reacts with us differently. Uh, every breath we take is, is a learning experience. So these spores in normal amounts, because their spores are everywhere, are hormetic stressors. They teach your body what's normal in the environment. If you strip that from the home by over sanitizing and over cleaning, the body doesn't know what's normal. And then you go out and have a normal exposure to what's 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 supposed to be a healthy background, which is, you know, we live on planet fungi. You know, it, it, no doubt about it. Uh, so you need to be able to, to know that. So I always say clean your house and run, and run the HEPA filters and do all that stuff and then open your windows. Let nature back in. Spend some time outside, you know. And so it's, it's, it's been it's been like the, the proverbial boiling of the frog, you know. Yep. You know, you, it started slowly and then the heat kept getting turned up. And as the heat has gotten turned up, we've had, we went from moldy buildings to chemically filled buildings to over sanitized buildings. And they're stacked. These things have stacked up on top of each other. And that's where we are today. Wow. So for, okay, I'm, I'm curious, I'm going to use my personal story, not to get free advice here, but I think this actually relates to a lot of people for someone like me that moved into the new apartment. And, and yes, I might've noticed some things from early on, but again, those are injuries that genuinely could have been from something else. I think I felt fine the rest of the time. And then it really hit in those last several months uh, that we were at the apartment. When we looked at the HVAC system, I'm not an expert in this by any means, but this does not look like it just got there overnight. I mean, it looks like it's been growing for quite some time. So with that said, what is actually happening to people when they're exposed? Of course, someone could have an instant reaction, maybe like an allergy type thing, but is there as it's accumulating, is that when symptoms can occur? Like, I guess what I'm basically trying to say, like in my case, because I'm sure it's relatable to someone, do you think all of a sudden these symptoms started just because I randomly developed an allergy or because it was literally building up in my body over time or just more exposure since I'm working indoors now versus I was kind of on the road before? Like, why, why did that happen even though I lived there for a year? Well, I, I think you you kind of nailed it, right? You spend more and more time indoors. Um, and again, you know, you go from being able to purge, you know, we, we are, are by, by changing environments... Just like having a varied diet, right? Um, by changing environments, your body gets a chance to find equilibrium. 
Okay. And and so um, and and what, what's also really fascinating is that air air is 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 this thing where uh, we it's it's hiding in plain sight, right? Of the, of the four basic human needs: air, water, food, and shelter. Shelter you can live without for a while. Food you can go three weeks or so. Water you can go three days. Air three minutes. And yet, of those four things, air is the thing we think about last. And it's 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 a blind spot. It's almost like you know you can't smell your own breath. You know, unless it's really bad. Well, you can't, you can't, you don't know that you got an air problem until it's really bad. Yeah. And, um, and so the, uh, the, the thing that's fascinating about this is that we, if you, if you eat three meals a day, which many of our listeners don't, right? A lot of them are intermittent fasting. You're, you're going to eat about four pounds of food maximum. And if you eat, if you drink uh, eight, eight ounce glasses of water, that's about a half a pound. It's about a half a gallon. It's about, it's about four pounds rather. Um, and, uh, but if, if you take those 20,000 breaths, and I have done this, I've weighed, my my breath um it, it comes out to roughly 30 pounds of air wow. Get your mind around that right so that's seven times any other environmental exposure your primary environmental exposure is air water and food um and yet it's the thing that we think about the least and so as a result you know we talk about a varied diet right you want to have to have a varied a, a varied air diet mm -hmm. um because you're consuming this stuff Okay, this is not just something that's passed, you know, it's just pass. you're actually consuming what's in the air. Uh, and so it's very important that you vary your air as well as you just as you vary your diet. Um, and then, of course, if you can do source control. So there's only three things you can do with an indoor air quality problem. You can either remove the source, which is ideal. That's remediation, essentially. Um, you can filter the air. Um, which only buys you time. It doesn't really solve the problem. Or you can dilute, which is basically opening the windows or getting having ventilation. Um, those are the only three things you can do. Notice I didn't say spray, you know, kill, sanitize, you know, or like paint over. Paint, paint over. over is the craziest thing. Yeah. Right. All that stuff, right? It's just like, it's like typical sort of like band aid on a bullet wound, you know? Uh, it, it does not work. And so, so really what it comes down to is reducing exposure, creating different, different, going through to different environments, bringing nature in um, is probably the most important thing you can do. Bringing in outside air, especially if you live in a place where, where you have nature, right? This is challenging if you live in a place where, you know, you've got a lot of pollution, you know, New York City or, you know, anywhere where there's a lot of, ex and by the way, that is, that is a major issue in and of itself, right? So outdoor air comes in to the house, uh, outdoor air always comes in. And, uh, and it infiltrates in. And uh, the data on this is fascinating, too. You are exposed to outdoor air four times as much in your house. Check this out. You're Because you're rebreathing it. So whatever's outside, if you've got toxins outside and it infiltrates, you rebreathe that air. And you actually have four times the exposure in your home to outdoor air than you would if you were walking around the block. Wow. Right? So our indoor environment is, is, is this encapsulated space. And so it's really important that we become aware of this because it is it is the um, like I said, it's your single largest uh, environmental exposure. Uh, and because it is uh, it's something that's so subtle, um, it, it's the thing that will it will weaken you. So it goes back to your story. What we see consistently with chronic exposures is that it weakens your immune system. It weaken it. It. it, it breaks you down so that you become susceptible to other things. It also generally leads to a lot of inflammation, especially in people that have a genetic predisposition towards that. 
Um, and so th there's another piece too, which is a lot of a, a lot of the mycotoxin reports that people are getting. Uh, uh, people are concerned about it being in their building, but actually there's a major mold problem in our food supply, uh, especially from imported grains and from conventional meats because the animals are fed moldy grains and it carries over into the dairy and it carries over in, in the meat. So you end up with a Venn diagram with mold exposure that looks like two circles overlapping, one's air and one's water. The mycotoxins are mostly coming from food and the musty smell and the chemicals that come from the mold growth itself come from the air but they sensitize and they can amplify each other. And this is the other thing is that you tend to see these hyper reactive, um, uh, hyper reactions or these, these hypersensitivities develop where, uh, where one, one exposure tends to create a disproportionate response to another exposure. Um, and so oftentimes people feel much better when they leave, but the, the chronic exposure tends to lead to chronic symptoms, or I should say long-term exposure tends to lead to long-term symptoms and short-term exposure tends to lead to short-term symptoms. So, so uh, what I encourage people to do is, is become very attuned to this because if you start to notice, like you, you start to notice I'm having problems here and then you change environments, Oftentimes, if you do that quickly, you can recover quickly. But if you don't listen to, the, to that quiet voice inside saying there's something wrong here, right, and don't make that, that change, then, then these things can stay with you for a very long time. Um, and they can turn into things like chemical sensitivities and autoimmune disease. It, it tends to bring out latent symptom profiles, things that might be underneath the surface. So fibromyalgia, chronic fatigue, you know, uh, you know, lupus, all these things that tend to be really below the surface. And then suddenly there's they, 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 they come up and and nobody really knows why they do. But we consistently see that a chronic exposure to a poor indoor environment, especially a moldy one, um, ten, tends to be um, the uh, the commonality amongst amongst those uh, those profiles. I, I totally can see this because, and listen, I'm good. Like, thankfully, I have so many tools and resources at my disposal. Uh, again, thank God because of years of doing this that I, I don't want to over-dramatize it, but it, it is interesting because once we left, um, actually, the whole reason that we left the apartment early is because we went to a wedding and we stayed in a hotel. Jason, I felt so um, bad that day that this is one of my best friend's weddings. We ended up leaving at like 8.30 at night. This was just, this was on September 30th. And when I went back to the hotel, I'm like, I need a fresh night's sleep. I got to travel soon for work for FDN. I'm like, I cannot be off. I, this is not the time to do a 2 a.m., 3 a.m. night. I can't do this. And I don't do that normally anyway. Well, we slept in the hotel and I woke up in the morning. And I'm like, babe, listen to this. And she's like, what? And my sinuses were all cleared up. I'm like, there's something. It's the apartment. There's something with the apartment. This I should feel worse in a hotel. This does not make any sense. And thank God, though, it was a brand new hotel. Like last couple months is when they opened up. So it was kind of the perfect place to go test and you know not a literal test but um this anecdote that i had now of, wait when i leave this gets better and the same thing happened when i traveled in a few days so I, it is kind of scary and crazy to see it accumulate because i know that there's things off right now um as i'm doing this podcast i'm not looking for sympathy again i'm just being honest i mean raging neck pain and headache and i've taken an advil for it i never take advil that's not what i want to do it barely budges it so i'm, I'm working through a lot of this stuff right now uh, to really get this the hell out of my body. My last selfish question for this, just because it might validate me, so just just say yes if you don't mind. Have you ever heard of someone with the the mold exposure? Because you said it can increase inflammation. Would that make any sense for them having an increased risk of injury in like sports and stuff? Yeah, yeah, no, that, I've I've heard that before. Um, it, it, it's uh, it makes you weak. You know the the um, it it's like kryptonite. Mm -hmm. 
it makes you weak. Okay. Now, some people are more reactive to it than others, right? We all have this bio-individual um, reaction or response to environmental exposures. Um, but but I think of mold as kryptonite. Um, it okay. would even take down Superman given enough uh, given an, enough time. And so, yeah, uh, injuries because again, inflammation. It, it, you know, it's it's an it, it, in many ways, mold exposure is an injury. Um, okay. You know, it it, it 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 does remarkable things. I I, I, I often say that that mold or the, the immune system is like a juggler. It can juggle all these processes, thousands of processes, with incredible ease and elegance. I mean, it's just it's 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 amazing, right? And mold is like a guy across the room throwing baseballs at him or her. And so he, your immune system is going to have to make a decision here: is it going to keep juggling these processes, or is it going to protect itself from this evolutionary threat? And so I'm here to tell you that what what, what the immune system does is says, oh. Nope, can't can't deal with that. We're gonna we're gonna work on that stuff, and all the other processes fall to the wayside, and so a lot of balls get dropped, and so uh, and again, the longer that goes, uh, the more difficult it is for those processes to get back up to speed again, um, and a lot of us have had exposures over the years uh, that could be considered hormetic, that be beneficial. Like you know, for example, I've done thousands and thousands of mold inspections, um, and I actually think about them like allergy shots. I'm in a house for an hour or so, two hours, and if I if I notice that that that, that I start to get uh, these hives between my fingers or, or my itchy eyes, I'll go out and get protection. Right, I'll go out and get some respiratory protection. Um, but but that small those small exposures can actually be beneficial to you. Okay, uh, it's the long exposures that are really really a problem. Now, if you're already hypersensitized, if you're already really sensitized and you're experiencing, you know, um, a disproportionate. Um, reaction uh to to lots of other things i wouldn't i wouldn't play that game um you know I, i'm in a little bit of a different uh different camp there but uh but but yes the 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 way that this impacts you is uh it, it affects everybody differently but in in almost all cases what i've noticed is that it makes people weak okay that makes that makes a lot of sense so thank you for again validating myself absolutely Moving into the the testing side, I think it's really cool uh, that you've been doing this for so long because, again, there's nothing wrong uh, with joining the functional medicine space or joining the mold space or whatever it might be at any time. Uh, but one of the things I always shout out for Reed Davis, the founder of FDN, is he was doing this before it was cool. You were doing this before it was cool and trendy. And I mean, I guess we still live in a bubble to some degree because the vast majority of people are not having these conversations or are aware of this stuff. But uh, there are these little bubbles on the internet that are hyper aware of these issues and trying to actively do something about it. So I, I see a lot of validity in someone who's been doing this longer than not. And so what, what do we have to do in terms of the testing? Because if I'm not mistaken, I'm sorry if I'm I don't think I'm mistaking this. I think when you did a presentation for somewhere else in our company, you had actually challenged some of the more mainstream tests on the market. So I'd love yes. to hear about what makes a proper test, um, what you guys do. Let's dive into this, please. Yeah, by all means. Thank you very much for that, because uh, I think that there, there are, there's a, a real problem with a test that's actually not a test. It's called ERMI, E-R-M-I. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, ERMI stands for Environmental Relative Relative Re Environmental Relative Moldiness Index, um, and it was uh, it's a research tool developed by the EPA uh, about 20 years ago, um, based on um, uh, mold profiles that were found in 30 something homes in Ohio. Uh, not exactly a a, a a robust 
geographically diverse uh, data set. And, um, and so then it was used in a study of around 1,000 or 1,089 homes uh, with, with, a, with, a, with a HUD, HUD study. Uh, and then uh, because there was an absence of, and it used a really cool technology, by the way. Back then, it was a really cool, it's called MSQPCR, which is mold-specific quantitative polymerase chain reaction. So we all know PCR, which is the last three letters, because that's what most of uh, the, the, those COVID everyone tests. Everyone knows that now. Yep. Right, everyone knows <laughs> that now. And so what that does is it targets specific organisms, right? It looks at the DNA, and then it amplifies that DNA. Uh, and so you can identify if they're in a, in a, in a dust sample or, a, or, or, or any kind of sort of specimen sample, you can identify whether that organism is present. Um, it does a very poor job of enumerating uh, or accounting how much is there. Uh, this particular MSQPCR is, has not been updated in 20 years uh, either, right? And can you think of anything that's grown more or faster than genomics in the last 20 years? Right. I mean, this is like caveman era genomics, the, the ERMI. And so what, what they suggest you do is you gather dust from two rooms and then compound the sample, which, by the way, right there is a fail. Because if you take two tests from two different parts of your body, let's say you were doing biopsies, you do a biopsy from your back and a biopsy from your scalp and then put them together in one sample and send it in. It says you got cancer. Well, where? Right. Mm -hmm. So that's on its face. It's a fail there. Uh, and then it's only it only looks for 36 molds uh, and 10 of them are background outdoor molds and 26 are, are considered to be uh, indoor molds. But those molds have not been validated to be of great concern uh, specifically. This is from this this small, very small study in Ohio. Um, these are not the mycotoxin producers. And again, back to our previous uh, point, all mold growth has the potential to be toxic. So mycotoxin mycotoxin producing molds are not the ones to be worried about. All mold growth indoors of significance has the potential to create toxicity, but more importantly, all mold growth indoors has the potential to cause serious health effects. Um, and so regardless of toxicity, um, so it's not about just mold toxicity. I want to make that really clear. Ermi um, also has a, a, a notorious um, habit of being very high. Um, and so, it, and, and people are often told by their doctor, uh, or their practitioner to use ERMI and then, and then use that as an actionable data point. And I'm here to tell you that there's no actionable data point by itself. You need context. You need to know what's going on in the building. Um, and so it's important to not take action on one test, any test by itself. Uh, you need to understand what the actual conditions are in the building. You need to, you know, if there's a history of water damage, if there's any sort of visible indicator, there are people that there that there are there is a, a whole daisy chain or gravy train, more like it, of practitioners, uh, inspectors, and remediators that use ERMI because it sh it, it guarantees the next visit. It guarantee the inspection guarantees a remediation. The remediators are using this as a clearance test because it guarantees they're going to have to come back and do more work. Um, it, it, there, there are, there's a group of very, very bad players whose names will remain nameless right now, who will remain nameless right now, uh, that, that capitalize on this. And they're doing outrageous $100,000 remediations without ever having found any any actual evidence of mold or moisture problems in these buildings. Really devastating. Wow. Um, and so um, so ERMI, or ERMI is a real problem. Um, and, uh, and then, you know, you also add in these mycotoxin urine tests, which have value, but they're, they're conflating the ideas between mold and food and mold and air. Mycotoxins do not become airborne easily. They have to have a carrier particle. And so you're going to have high spore counts in those buildings or high dust levels in those buildings. Um, and so that's why we advocate the use of spore traps for indoor air quality surveys. 
Um, and, and so that's, we, we actually created a, a mold test kit, which we can talk more about later, uh, that allows you to actually figure out what the particles are that are in the ambient air. Um, we do like DNA-based testing, uh, but we like current uh, technologies, not 21-year-old genomics. Um, and so uh, we're working on a test right now that uses next-generation gener next sequencing to identify all known microbes in a dust sample, and only from one room at a time, by the way, for the same price as ERMI. And so the idea is that you can I, you can see that what what's really going on in that dust. Uh, and and now we're not just looking at mold because the evidence uh, there's there's strong evidence that there's also bacteria, specifically uh, these, they're called actinomycetes. Um, that are that are soil bacteria that grow right alongside of molds in water damaged buildings, and we also what's fascinating about them is that um, everyone knows almost everyone knows that penicillin comes from fungi, right? From penicillium, sure. um, uh, and so most people think that antibiotics come from 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 fungi, and and some do, um, but actually two thirds of the antibiotics uh, on the market come from actinomycetes, which are so they're potent chemical factories. Yet they're, they're and so and so we know that they. Uh, uh, in essence, we know that they're producing things that we're not looking at in indoor air quality surveys. Um, and so, uh, and then, you know, the, 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 there's also some really interesting um, VOC tests out there and microbial VOC tests out there. Uh, one in particular uh, put out by Enthalpy Labs, uh, which can be very helpful for hidden mold growth where there's mold in a wall and the gases can come through, but the spores don't necessarily. And so if the spores can't come through, by the way, neither can the mycotoxins. Um, and so, so it, 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 it takes, again, it goes back to the idea that there's no one data point that's actionable. Oftentimes, you know, it reminds me of those pointillism paintings, you know, have you seen like a, a, a dot or, or painting made of dots? You ever seen those? Sure, yeah. It's just a paint, right? So one dot is is not a painting, right? One dot is, right. but but you start to add the other data points in, and you can create a picture. And so oftentimes, a proper mold assessment—I shouldn't say oftentimes—a proper mold assessment involves collecting many data points, visual observations, olfactory. Does it smell like something, right? So I always say, if you see something, smell something, or feel something, do something, right? And that do something might mean doing some DIY testing because of, you know, if, if you're on a constrained budget, it may mean finding an independent qualified mold inspector who has experience in dealing with mold and moisture problems that doesn't have any financial relationships with a remediation contractor that will do the work uh, that will actually, do, you know, get down on their hands and knees and, and, and figure out what's going on in the building. Um, and then also to look beyond mold because mold, indoor air quality is complex. Um, as I mentioned, it's mold, it's VOCs, it's, it's also, uh, it's also hyper sanitization. Um, and so, um, in, in essence, uh, the, 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 this all begins with establishing a new level of awareness around the subject. So with, by the way, you're getting a lot of positive comments and stuff. So everyone was just saying, well, uh, one has a friend, uh, lost a friend to CF. Um, someone said, that's incredible, incredible information. This is absolutely awesome. Learning a lot. I had no idea, but I must go. Um, we actually have a question from the audience. So if the mold is in the walls, is there any reason to rip out the walls and remediate? Yes, absolutely. Well, let, let me back up. The first thing with mold remediation is to, re the re word remediation is remedy. Uh, it's, it's, the root is remedy. The Latin root is remediare. And if you look, that means to, to hear, cure or, or heal. Um, and so what are we actually remedying when we deal with mold? Well, we're, first we're dealing with the moisture problem because that's the problem. A mold problem is a moisture problem. Mold is a symptom. 
And so what we need to do is first figure out why is there mold in the wall? Where's the leak? Where's the defect? Is it a leak? Is it condensation? A lot of humid climates, you'll, you know, if the wall assembly isn't built correctly, you'll get condensation inside the walls. These things need, or, uh, need, need to be addressed first. Then you go in and you remove the, uh, the affected materials. Uh, and, and it has to be done by a specialist who, who understands. And by the way, there's an industry standard called the IICRCS. 520. And it is a, it is a well-traveled document. It's, it's, it's the only consensus accepted uh, industry standard. And, uh, and, it, and, it, and it is very effective if the contractors would just fill, simply follow it. It does not advocate the use of chemicals. It advocates the use of, of environmental control. So in other words, you go in and you set up a tent kind of like ET, right? You set up a tent around the work area, you remove the effective building materials, and you control the dust in that space. That's the most important part. Then you clean the surfaces using HEPA vacuums and damp wipes, no chemicals unnecessary unless there's concern about sewage or bacteria um, and then make sure it's completely dry that the water problem has been fixed you do the necessary testing to make sure the work area and the adjacent work areas are are are, are normal right that they that they that they've been restored to a normal condition and then you rebuild so yes if you've got mold in a wall ripping out the walls and remediating is absolutely necessary but first you fix the water problem and you also have to make sure you deal with a contractor that's going to follow the standard wow Okay, so and by the way, we're going to go a few minutes over. As long as you're good, I'm good. This is amazing. So then, for our, we have a bunch of practitioners that listen. We have people that are interested in health that will never become practitioners. So what I want to be 100% clear on because I think anyone that has listened to even five minutes of this is like, all right, this is the guy. He knows this stuff. This is awesome. So with Got Mold, what specifically uh, will can you offer the audience? How can um, we use your stuff? Is I, I have an, another question to that, but I also want to know this first. This would be great. By all means, yeah. So uh, we we made a welcome page for uh, your listeners uh, on on our website, and it's gotmold.com slash health detective. Now I saw that when they sent over the link, it's health dash detective. Uh, they're gonna fix that. So if you go there now, uh, live, it's health dash detective, but it will be health detective one word. So gotmold.com slash health detective. Oh. And what the reason we did that was because uh, we have an ebook there called How to Find Mold. We get a lot of great feedback about this. It's essentially an, a book filled with inspection checklists and FAQs, and it's really great for people that are early in their mold awareness journey. Uh, if you follow that book around your house or your or your home uh, and do your own inspection, you will see things that you, you're, you'll be surprised. To, you'll be you'll be amazed at what you learn, kind of like giving yourself a physical. A lot of people don't even check out their body, right? Think about the building as an extension of your immune system, right? It really is. It's like an exoskin or an exoskeleton. Uh, we're a lot like hermit crabs. We don't do too well without our shell. So you want to get familiar and intimate with your building. Um, the, the quality of your relationship with your building is the quality of your health and potentially your longevity. Um, and so it's very important that you sort of engage in that. And so that the ebook is really helpful for that. We also have uh, a coupon code there, uh, which is Detective 10, uh, which will give your listeners a 10% discount on any of our test kits. Now we sell a, a Bitgotmol test kit, uh, we, which we created mostly because of products like Ermi, to be honest with you. Um, because people were getting, uh, they they were paying too much for spore trap samples, which are the most common form of indoor air quality testing, um, and uh, and and oftentimes the data was being used against them by you know uh, unethical inspectors, and so we decided to create a test kit that would allow people to get that data affordably and without any of the concerns about conflicts of interest, and so uh, so we have a, a 
we we sell one, two, and three room air sampling test kits. And then once you uh, buy a kit, this air sampling pump, which we make, which duplicates a thousand dollar air sampling device. So if you were to get your house tested by a professional, they have an air sampling pump that they come in with that's a expensive calibrated device um, and it interfaces with these cassettes, these sport traps. Um, we created one that costs a lot less. And so when you buy our one of our kits, you get to keep this and then you can retest again uh, for less using our refills. And so we sell one, two and three room refills. Um, and then you get the report within three business days of uh, the samples being at the lab. So you collect the samples, kind of like 23andMe for mold. You collect the samples using our device, you send it back in a prepaid mailer. All of our prices include lab fees, shipping both ways. There's nothing else to purchase or pay for, even batteries. It comes with fresh batteries. Um, and then uh, and then when, when once it's at the uh, lab for three days, you get a, a beautiful report. It's all automated. You never have to chase down your 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 uh, your data, uh, which I know is refreshing for people who are in this in the testing space. It's very hard sometimes to get your reports. You don't have that problem with us. And uh, and so you get a nice uh, cover sheet that gives you a green, yellow, orange, or red indication of what was found in each sample, uh, as well as the raw lab data formatted in a way I always wanted my reports formatted. So you know this is kind of scratching one of my itches. And so it tells you what the water damage indicates molds are uh, and then it also color codes that report and then the last page the third page uh, gives you links to find qualified remediators and inspectors in your area uh, links to the trade associations which we trust to certify and train these guys and gals uh, as well as uh, um, uh, 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 some additional resources uh, about uh, uh, some, there's a self-test, uh, there's a, a self-evaluation tool there called Hayward Score uh, and a variety of other resources there. So there's some actionable next steps uh, for people that are concerned about this. This has been amazing. And for those that, especially that are listening on audio, because that's where most of the listeners are, uh, shoot us a DM at FDN Training. Let us know if you'd like us to have Jason back on. I think you have a lot in that head, my friend. So there, there, we could probably do this for two or three hours if need be. Uh, but this has been excellent. We normally have a, a signature question on the show that I kind of phrase around a, a more general health question. But today, I'd like to make it a little bit more specific uh, for you as the final question of today. What I'm curious about is we have a bunch of people that are going to listen to this. Some might not be able to afford testing, remediation, whatever. Now, there's plenty that will. That's That's wonderful. But the one thing I've always worried about with mold is like, my gosh, God forbid the test comes back positive. Now we have a whole separate set of issues we have to deal with. And I am very aware that mold can affect anyone at any time, any house. It's not a, it's not a class thing. However, using common sense, I would imagine that, you know, older houses that are not as well maintained are probably going to be, uh, what would you call that? People that are in poverty might be more likely to live in them and might have even bigger mold problems. So unfortunately, some of the people that are suffering the most might have the least access to actually doing stuff about this. So you had mentioned filters. You had talked about opening the damn windows, getting outside. My question for you is, if you had no money, but you knew that there was a mold issue, uh, what would you do? And I'm sorry if that's too tough, but I'm curious. What would you do uh, if well, that's what your situation was? We we literally could do a whole another podcast on my answer, so I'll keep it really brief. Okay. <laughs> uh, you, you're, you're, I, the most important thing you can do is is reduce exposure. Um, and and so, uh, but but in the process of getting something fixed or repaired, especially people who are impoverished, and this is why we created our test kit also, is the people who need us the most are the ones who couldn't afford my professional mold inspection. My own parents could not have afforded to hire my professional mold inspection company, which I created to help families navigate what my family did. Oh, that's beautiful. Uh, and, that's all. Right? So it, it, this is full circle for me. This is really what this is about. It's about being able to close that gap and, and close that loop. Um, so thank you for bringing it up. But the, the, the thing that's really uh, interesting is that people who are renting 
are actually uh, they, they have a unique uh, tool at their disposal. It's called the implied warranty of habitability. We literally could do another hour on this. And it's a legal legal doctrine that underpins all residential leases. And it, and it basically states that landlords have an obligation, a legal obligation. It's not in the lease. That's why it's called the implied warranty. It's implied. And it's in 49 states, except for Arkansas, believe it or not. Um, and uh, don't ask me why, but it, that's the way it is. And so uh, it says that you, the landlords have a legal obligation to provide safe and clean housing, um, fit for habitability. And so that means, and so what, what's, I mean, it's, is, is a moldy building safe or clean? No, neither. It's neither safe nor clean. And it's especially not safe if you've got a preexisting medical condition, uh, which mold either, either aggravates or, or, or causes. And so, uh, look up the implied warranty of habitability, learn, and we have an article actually, and I can put, I can give this to you guys. Um, I'll send you a link to it. Uh, and it's on our website. It's called the renter's playbook. It's, you can even Google Gottmold, um, Renter's Playbook, Jason Earl, and, and we walk you through it um, so that you, what you have to do is you have to notify your landlord that they've got the issue. You have to notify them of the proper procedures, which means to use the IICRC S520, uh, and you have the ability to affect uh, if, if they don't respond or, 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 or take action within a fixed period of time. You can hold back rent. You can pay into escrow. Um, yeah, and you can also affect if they continue to to ignore you or or fail to to uh, to to restore the property to a normal healthy condition. You can break your lease without having it impact your credit or or losing your security deposit. You are in the catbird seat, and most people who have this problem are scared that their landlord is going to be in control and 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 kick them out. Or you know, these people are already feeling oppressed. And so they don't have to be. The law is on your side. Even if you've got bad landlord tenant laws in your state, if you if you use the implied warranty of habitability, you'd be amazed. Uh, but you have to follow the procedures. And every single municipality has different rules around that. So you have to get up to speed on that. The good news is we all have access to to Google. We all have, you know, even, you know, I've seen homeless people with, with their cell phones, right? With their, with their iPhones. So I know even the people who are struggling financially, they can't afford mold remediation. They can afford to get online and learn about this. Sure. So become educated on this. This is the single, like I said, most important environmental exposure you have. Um, and, and your home is your health. Your home is your health. There's no two ways about it. Jason, thank you uh, so much for your time. I guess it's not an if, it's a when. So we will decide once the audience gives the feedback. And you just left a great cliffhanger. You guys tell us which subsequent topic you want within this topic of mold, right? Maybe we want to do a whole thing on that because you just blew my mind. I'm like, holy cow, I wish I knew about you five, six months ago when I was dealing with this. My, my landlords actually, they were really nice people, but our lease was about to end anyway. So it was kind of I don't think we could have gotten the most out of this. And I didn't want to leave uh, my damn apartment, right? A lot of it, well, that's a, that's a whole separate thing. So I can't wait to talk to you again. Thank you uh, for what you're doing and sharing your story. And, and thanks for an excellent podcast, man. Thank you, Evan.